But at near the end of the film, Jasmine is wearing a hot pink dress, and the color looks really strange on her. And then earlier, the Sultan is kind of all yellow, but it's this uh, it's almost the same color as his flesh tone, so that looks a little bit strange to me as yeah, well. Yeah, like he's wearing his, he's wearing a suit made out of the skin of his his, his himself. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell, especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy Six, this is sequel cast, and they are run surpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is sequel cast, and your hosts are best that I inform you. The theme song to the sequel cast is performed and written by Mark with the Sea. Check out his latest album, Motherfuckers Be Bullshitting, at markwiththesea.bandcamp.com. Now we return you to the sequel cast. I'll get to keep a present. You've ordered just a few tasteful flowers. And Valley, she'll carefully part for you. The bridesmaids have been dressing for hours. Girls, you look just lovely and so grown up, too. There's a party here in Agrippa. Guests are filling up the room. But there's something missing. Yes, aha! Where is the groom? Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a show that talks about movies in a franchise one movie at a time. And uh, we're wrapping up our look at the Aladdin trilogy. We took a week off last week uh, to talk about Aladdin and the King of Thieves, the uh, third uh, animated film in the Disney animated Aladdin trilogy. Um, you know, like the second one, Return Jafar, this was direct-to-video. and um, But this one, you know, had mo- most of the voice cast of the cartoon, but uh, instead of having Dan Castellaneta do voice of the genie, you had Robin Williams come back. And uh, another new addition to the voice cast is John Reese davies as uh, Aladdin's father, as uh, the plot Oh, he gave it away! Soon enough. I gave away spoilers, that's right. <laughs> and uh, it also has a, an actor, uh, Jerry Orbach, who uh, plays a villain, Saluk, who is dead, but um, he was also the voice of Lemire in Beauty and the Beast, and we'll talk about him uh, later in the show. Uh, with me is Thrasher. Howdy, everybody. And, uh, yeah, we're here to talk, wrapping up, uh, talking about Aladdin. And, There's uh, a party on the sequel cast. We're done with all these films. Right. Send them to the Disney vault. We're gonna do Lethal Weapon next. Uh, yeah, very good. Yeah, right. No, we are doing the Lethal Weapon quadrilogy. Uh, next is a change of pace, and that's been something that's been requested for a long time by uh, lots of sequel cast listeners, including uh, Luis, uh, one of our fans on Facebook. So, Luis, uh, Lethal Weapons, especially for you. But, uh, no, seriously, that's what we've been talking about doing in the show for a while. But we're here right now talking about Aladdin and the King of Thieves. Um, uh, Thrasher, do you remember seeing this for the first time? You said you caught some of it when it was on TV, right? Yes. The um, uh, I, Is the wonderful world of Disney still a thing? I don't think it is now, but they, uh, they brought it back with Michael uh, Eisner. Is that his name? Yeah, yeah, Michael yeah, Eisner. Yeah, they brought it back with Michael Eisner on like ABC and stuff uh, when I was starting college, like in two thousand two thousand one, on uh, ABC. Yeah, they 
they showed this on the Wonderful World of Disney, uh, and now that you think, now that I think about it, yeah, that would be uh, that. I think that would have been because we went to college together. I would have been there uh-huh. too, and yeah. I caught the end. I caught the end of the movie on Wonderful World of Disney. Okay, right. So I, I kind of so that means I kind of saw it when it had its network television premiere. I saw this. It, it, so according to Wikipedia, this came out. Uh, in uh, 96, and Return of Jafar came out in 92, and of course the original Aladdin uh, came out in 92, so, you know, it's just two years between all of those, and also between Return of Jafar and King of Thebes, you had the Aladdin uh, animated TV series. Which, which is uh, a really good series. Is it? I've never really seen it. Um, yeah, it's really good. It's a really well-done fantasy series. They They clearly, the writers and animators put a lot of effort into it, uh, a lot of characters from these movies return in it. Uh, uh, Jason Alexander is in it as Abysmal in several episodes. And they have a great menagerie of villains. They really expand outside of Jafar. Uh, like, uh, the, the one that really jumps out to me is there was an Egyptian uh, cat person named Mirage uh, huh. who, who showed up as a, as a great threatening villain. She was a sorceress on par with Jafar. And there also was a character on there that sort of was like a magician, kind of, right? As I recall, there and, was. I and he's about, was... he looks around the same age as Aladdin and... Uh... Oh, yeah, there were, yeah like the, he was like this necromancer-type guy. Uh-huh. Who, yeah, who looked like Aladdin, but with these terrifying dark rings under his eyes. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, for this one, um, in uh, high school, believe it or not, listeners, I had a, had a girlfriend, and uh, she liked a whole bunch of this Disney stuff. And uh, she had this in videotape, and we watched it. And I recall not being that impressed with it at the time. And uh, but now, now seeing it for a sequel cast, you know, so soon after we were watching Return of Jafar, I think I was able to appreciate it um, a bit more. And, and certainly, when this came out on video at the time, uh, the fact that they got Robin Williams back to do the genie was a huge deal. I was doing some uh, reading some newspaper articles at the time about this, and they actually had recorded Dan Castellaneta, who did the genie in the cartoon series and in Return of Jafar. Uh, he did the whole vo- voice track for this Aladdin, King of Thieves. But then when they were able to get Robin Williams, uh, of course they went with that, but Robin Williams did so much improvisation in the studio that they had to reanimate all the genie scenes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you can actually, you no can actually notice that yeah. in some of the musical numbers. Some of the musical numbers... Like Robin Williams' voice is barely contained by the genie's mouth. I did not like the uh, the musical numbers in this one. I think Return of Jafar had uh, had some better ones, and the ones here just seemed really forced. I don't know. You have you have like a, a love ballad again between Aladdin and Jasmine. The genie has a few crazy songs, and you have a, a number introducing the forty thieves. But uh, did you find the music to be catchy in this one? Ah. Uh... I, I, well, you know, I, I think I made a comment when we reviewed Return of the of Jafar that some of the songs seem one draft away from perfection or one take away from perfection, uh-huh. and I, I kind of feel like the I kind of feel the same way uh, here, like with with the the party the party in Agrabah, it's it's a it's it's a it's a decent enough song, but I think they try to pack too much into it. Like if you actually pay attention to like the the Prince Ali song from the original Aladdin, yeah. it's packed with stuff, 
but it's a very quick song. That musical number is over very quickly. But Party in Agrabah just drags <laughs> on and on, and the material gets spread thinner and thinner. If that song had been tightened up and one verse dropped, I think it would have been perfect. And I kind of feel that way about a lot of the music here. Right, and also you got to keep in mind the the budget of these things were not as much as even the original Aladdin, um, even though they got Robin Williams back to do the voice. Uh, so I mean, I think the animation certainly looks better in this show than in uh, Return of Jafar, the second one. Um, oh, I will say, uh, you know, as as you mentioned, this film came out after the Aladdin animated series, and the animation. Uh, does look? I find the animation looks sharper than Return to Jafar. I think that's in part mm-hmm. because the animators had had two years to to really get into drawing and animating these characters on a budget with the animated series. Uh, I think that's a great point, Thrasher. And um, although one thing that struck me weird about this one is you you sit back and you look at it, and and I realize characters have different clothes in these series and, and so forth. Waffles, get off the microphone. Sorry, that's my kitty cat waffles. Okay. Uh, I, I like is, blueberry syrup on my waffles. Do you? I just like, uh, I guess, Belgian waffles. I'm more of a pancake man myself. Um, uh, yeah. Gotta have the pancakes. That's why uh, we called you Flapjack Matt back in college. That's right. <laughs> uh, but at, near the end of the film, Jasmine is wearing a hot pink dress, and the color looks really strange on her. And then earlier, the Sultan is kind of all yellow, but it's this—it's uh, almost the same color as his flesh tone. So that looks a little bit strange to me as yeah, well. Yeah, like he's wearing his, he's wearing a suit made out of the skin of his his, his himself. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, but you know, the character design in this one for the genie I thought looked resembled the genie a lot more. Uh, from the uh, original cartoon than in the Return of Jafar, I thought they made him look a bit different, probably on purpose. And uh, I do like how they have um, Aladdin's father look, uh, Kasim, the head of the Forty Thieves, and that it looks like Aladdin with like a, a beard and graying temples. Yeah, it does. Like they really did a good job crafting a family resemblance. Yeah, and of course the big joke with Aladdin, right, is that Aladdin and Jasmine look very similar to each other, too. Yeah, but although when you think about it, kings of thieves tend to get around, so there still could be something there. There could be. That could be an unexplored uh, avenue. You're absolutely right. Uh, They could get another movie out of this series. They could. I I don't know. I think it's a bit late now, but you never know. They just came out with Cinderella 3 a few years ago, and Cinderella is like 60-something years old, right? I don't even know. But it's a pretty old uh, Disney cartoon, the original one, at least. It's It, it can rightly be qualified as a classic, the original. Uh, yes. And uh, one weird thing about the DVD release compared to the videotape release of Aladdin and the King of Thieves is, okay, back when this was animated, everyone had, like, full-screen TVs, widescreen. Like, DVD wasn't that big in 96. It wasn't really even around. Uh, so it was full-screen. But for the DVD of Aladdin and King of Thieves, they kind of stretched it out to make it a widescreen, uh, 185 to 1 ratio, so it fills your whole widescreen TV. But because of that, it chops the heads and bottoms off of everything. Oh, yeah. And it creates some really bizarre uh, framing issues that weren't present in the original videotape version. And uh, my feeling about aspect ratio, I don't recall how much we've gone on to this uh, with the sequel cast, is you should just keep it at what it was to begin with. And... I understand the end, uh, you know, for people that don't have widescreen televisions and you're trying to watch widescreen stuff and it looks really small on your square TV. 
that that can be annoying and all these things. But uh, with the widescreen television, a lot of those problems kind of disappear or are less noticeable. And uh, it's what the movie was originally supposed to look like in the first place, as far as shot composition and um, so forth. Yeah, there. Like n- now that we've moved on to high definition widescreen TVs, there there's a lot of weird decisions that are made when things uh, f- when things made for the original uh, TV formats are, are brought over to the new formats, where where there there will be these weird cropping to simulate widescreen, stretching of the frame to simulate widescreen. I don't mind watching it in the original aspect ratio; it looks better than. Although I think. The weirdest, the weirdest thing to come out of this. This is a weird bit of trivia, but the science yeah. fiction series Babylon Five was <laughs> okay, actually yeah, recorded right. in high definition widescreen, but the CGI special effect sequences, all the ones that took place in space, weren't. So as a result, if you if you have the new DVDs or are watching it off of uh, like streaming off of a site like Hulu, the whole show is in high definition widescreen until they go into outer space. And then, you, then the screen just snaps down to this dinky little box. You know, I watched, uh, my wife and I watched a, a, most of the Babylon 5 series on a Netflix uh, watch instantly. And for some reason, for that version, it's all full screen. Um, they, they might be basing it off the masters of the original DVD release. Yeah, that could, did it was it different when they released it on t- uh, DVD like more than once or something? Well, the original DVDs were original yeah. television aspect ratio, and they weren't okay. high def. Uh, I I want to say I want to say a version of the show was released on the old HD format before Blu-ray t- took over, but that might just be a rumor. Um, I, eventually, I'm sure it's going to get the Blu-ray treatment. I, I think but, yeah, right. Uh, but I mean, and, and along those lines, you know, they're re-releasing. Uh, Star Trek in the Next Generation and spiffing up the picture and uh, basically redoing the special effects with CG effects that which it would look they did better the original series in high definition. Right? Yeah, they did that with the original uh, Star Trek series, which was only three seasons. But Next Generation is what, like seven, seven. seasons or something, right? Seven. So yeah. that'll be, and I mean, that's something where they just released a teaser Blu-ray disc of like four random episodes from Next Generation, and they're going to be releasing all seven seasons of those on Blu-ray over the next, uh, I think, two or three years, is what they've said. Um, but back to Aladdin, King of Thieves. That was a bit of a uh, nerdy aspect ratio tangent. Yeah, you know what's near Babylon? Arabia. Whoa. No, in seriousness, I really like Babylon 5, although we haven't been able to struggle our way through season 5 yet, which... Uh, I don't know, it just seems to be lower in quality than some of the other stuff in that series. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I've said all I need to say about Babylon 5. I, I have several Babylon 5 rants, but we don't need to go over them now. Fair enough. Uh, you, know who loves, you know who loves Babylon 5? The genie. No. Uh, okay. So this movie begins with Aladdin and Jasmine finally getting married, or that's the plan. Well, it's fi- the announcement goes out that they're finally getting married. Right. And uh, viewers Aladdin's might... done his travels, so he's ready to settle down. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that sort of picks up from the end of Return of Jafar kind of nicely in that Aladdin wanted to see the world. Maybe they had so... an animated series. An animated series. Maybe so as Wild Oats a bit on the side. Who knows? And, uh, you know, he decided to settle down and uh, have, you know, baby Aladdins or whatever and uh, wanted to get married. So... 
But in the midst of all this, the uh, famed 40 thieves are trying to uh, recover a special uh, staff, I believe, from the treasury. And it's not revealed right away who the leader of the 40 thieves is. So in the middle of this wedding, there is a big action sequence. And uh, one thing I think King of Thieves, uh, this third Aladdin film, does uh, better than Return of Jafar is it's paced better, it has more of an actual story, and you have more action in there. Oh, they really ramp it up. I mean, like yeah. when, when the identity of of the the master of the forty thieves is revealed, and like the genie duplicates himself and turns himself into a SWAT team, that's actually a really exciting scene. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's pretty funny because uh, it's certainly what you see the genie doing in Aladdin and the King of Thieves is much more what the genie did in the first Aladdin film, where it's celebrity impersonations. In this one, he does, like, Woody Allen. He even imitates uh, Ed 209 from RoboCop. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. There's a lot of kind of obscure stuff in there. Where in Aladdin and Return in Jafar, it was just more him doing different accents of different uh, cultures around the world. He didn't really get imitations in that one so much. And um, and like I said, I haven't seen the animated series, so I don't recall what the genie was like in that one. But... Anyway, you get this big battle sequence, and it kind of ruins the wedding, basically. Like any battle sequence would. Sure. Unless it's a Dothraki wedding. A Dothra- I hear the Dothraki weddings can get pretty bloody. Uh, what's the Dothraki again? Oh, you're, uh, it's from Game of Thrones. I, I... Oh, I've seen Game of Thrones. I just, that didn't stick out of my mind, but okay. <laughs> uh, Speaking, uh, on a bit of a tangent here, uh, the show's... About Babylon 5? No, but um, it shows how little I want to talk about Aladdin, King of Thieves, but that's okay. Uh, I uh, rented the new Conan the Barbarian movie starring Jason Momoa, who uh, plays uh, the head Dothraki Barbarian in oh, yeah. season one of Game of Thrones. Have you seen this series yet? Uh, yes, yes, I have. Okay, and uh, but he also plays Conan, and he looks the part. But the movie was so bland, I turned it off after 30 minutes, and I love the old Conan movies. So do I. Was I, I... highly disappointed. And, I, and love I think. The, or, go on. I was just saying, I love the original stories too. I've been working through yes. the Robert E. Howard canon. Yep. Like I, I, I love those stories so much. I've been staying away from that movie because I just don't want to be let down. From what I've seen of it, like I don't even think the script was that bad. It just was the way it was shot. The fight scenes didn't seem to have much of a choreography you could follow. And then it would cut away from some moments of violence, but then would focus in on other ones. Like it just seemed very. Mm. Uh, very slapdash, and um, not not every. I don't know if you'd call Conan a fantasy, but not every movie has to be about recovering a sacred object that gives you ultimate power. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that gets yeah. really old, really fast. And uh, although you do have some artifacts like that in Aladdin, King of Thieves, near the end, which is kind, but they pull it off kind of uh, interestingly. And uh, the thieves are trying to get this staff because it summons an oracle that can grant you, instead of a genie granting you one wish, this oracle can answer one of your questions. And it can be anything you want. And the uh, Aladdin uses it to, to find out who his father is. And that's where he learns that his father is the head of the 40 Thieves. Um, so you have Robin Williams as the genie in this, but the genie isn't so active in this movie as uh, in like Return to Jafar, I thought. You have big sequences where the genie is stuck at the palace rebuilding it with Jasmine, 
doing some comic relief while Aladdin is venturing out with uh, Abu Iago in the carpet. Which I gotta say, that's a disappointment because yeah, Jasmine was a very active character in the first film, and she was a very active character in the animated series. It's, I find it really disappointing that she's relegated to cleaning up a mess in this movie rather than having an adventure side by side, arm in arm with Aladdin. It is a bit more like the old school Disney heroines, isn't it? Like you think of Snow White. What does she do? She cleans the dwarves' house, right? You know. Yeah. I mean, Although admittedly, that's right from the source material. Uh, well, yeah, but um, so in the Forty Thieves, not only do you have the head person Kasim, who happens to be Aladdin's father, voiced by John Rhys Davies, and uh, supposedly they originally were trying to get Sean Connery for the part. Well, damn! And uh, they weren't able to because of scheduling uh, problems. Well, they but, got one of the Raiders, the Lost Ark. <laughs> yeah, sure. Or Last Crusade, you might be thinking of, but yeah, Last Crusade. Yeah, they got one of the Last Crusaders. And no, John Reese davies has such a deep voice, and yet he's an actor. A lot of people don't um, recognize him. So it's not... I think if you heard Sean Connery's voice, most people could say, oh, that's Sean Connery, and it might take them out of the picture a bit more than uh, John Reese davies uh, Of course, we're does. John Reese davies fanatics, so we hear yes. the slightest bit of his voice, we're all over it. And uh, if you want to see what I thought was a highly enjoyable but... Um, Admittedly, it's very campy. It's a live-action fantasy film called "In the In the Name of the King: A Dungeon Siege Tale." Have oh, you seen yeah. that, Thrasher? Have you, seen, have you seen it? Uh, no, I avoided it because it's connected with a, a director that, that we often revile. Yeah, uh, uh, he does a lot of video game uh, or movies based off video games. Uh, German director Uwe Boll uh, did this film, but. Um, it's actually quite hilarious. Like you don't see a lot, a lot of theatrical, live-action, low-budget fantasy films, but this one is so inept. And uh, you have Burt Reynolds as the king, Smokey himself, or sorry, the bandit himself. Need I say more? Yeah, I, I respect Uwe Boll's ambition. I do not respect his body of work. I think you'd get a kick out of it. Next time we meet up, I think I'll bring that movie along and we'll have some beers and watch it. I think it's right, that cool. sort of a film. I think it's uh and I think the uh director's cut is like three hours long. <laughs> wow. I know he's overindulgent, but wow. Yeah. Uh I might have to bring some Hobbit pipe weed. I think yeah, I I know what you're saying there. Uh back to Aladdin King of Thieves. Um so you have uh the head person Kasim, but his uh, number two is Saluk, a voice by Jerry Orbach, who has a kind of a bland design. He has like a shaved head and looks very muscular and menacing. And there's kind of a power struggle that goes on in this uh, film between Saluk and Kasim. And as part of uh, Aladdin, you know, interacting with his father, he has to do a test to be the 40 Thieves, and part of that is to fight. Saluk in a battle to the death. And Aladdin, uh, there's a neat sort of battle, and it's outside, and it's raining, and there's thunder and lightning. And Aladdin appears to throw Saluk to his death into the oceans below the cliffs. But uh, Saluk uh, ends up living. But anyway, he gets accepted into the Forty Thieves, and you get a goofy song and dance number. And uh, I think, you know, making his, uh, Aladdin's father part of the Forty Thieves is fine, but given that there's 40 of them, it's not like the Seven Dwarves. They don't really have individual uh, characters. 
or, you know, characteristics in there. Well, it could have been worse. It could have been 47 Ronin. It could have been the 47 Ronin, which is uh, an entirely different story. Um... So, eventually, one thing you do see in this film is Iago kind of returns to being, like, pretty greedy, like he was in the original cartoon. Yeah, as you can tell from when he first shows up in the party in Agrabah number, he's obsessed with wedding presents and loot. Right, and uh, I believe he, in fact, helps the, um, he helps Kasim get a hold of the staff or something, so he learns where this ultimate treasure is that happens to be the Hand of Midas. And it's a it's a hand that anything it touches turns to gold, but even what that means is you have to wrap it up in a cloth or something because yeah. if you hold it just as is, you turn to gold yourself, which I think is a pretty interesting twist on things. Um, what are some thoughts you have on the film Thrasher? We're kind of hopping around here well, with the story because you get you get some backstory on the. On uh, Kasim, don't you, Aladdin's father, and about Aladdin having a mother that died. Yeah, well, I mean, it does kind of it does kind of give a bit more context to why you have Aladdin as this this teenage orphan in the first film. Because uh, that, that is one thing. Because in um, Aladdin's mother is a, is a big presence in the original Aladdin story. And I, I I do always feel that there really is a, a real gap uh, in the first film that you don't see what what kind of family he comes from. You just kind of like you just drop in on his life uh, as as he's a criminal. And I'm I'm glad I'm glad that they finally start introducing some family elements, even though it took two movies in an animated series. <laughs> Right, and you know, the backstory you kind of get is that Kasim left the family to gather enough riches to come back to uh, to his family. But he just kind of got swept up in this world of uh, looking for the next treasure, looking for the next best thing, yeah. that he never was able to return to his family. And, uh, you know, and you'll get some cheesy dialogue. I think Aladdin says something to the effect of, you didn't have to search for all the world. The real treasure was your family. We just wanted you home, Dad. Or there's something like that. <laughs> and uh, but at least it's a storyline. It's a plot. It's not just Jafar getting revenge. They seem to be trying a bit more this time around. Although I did, uh, although I did like speaking of the uh, Arabian Nights source material. Yeah, I did like that when the uh, forty thieves are introduced. They're hiding out in baskets and barrels being delivered uh, to the castle. That is right out of the Alibaba and the Forty Thieves story. Is it? Yeah, yeah. That's how they. Uh, well, in, in the original in the original story, when uh, Alibaba discovers the cave of the Forty Thieves and makes out with a bunch of treasure, uh, he he invests that treasure wisely. becomes a very wealthy becomes a very wealthy man. And when the 40 Thieves find out, notice that their treasure is missing and Alibaba's rich, they decide that they're going to break into Alibaba's new estate and, uh, and, and, and you take all of his riches and maybe a few of his wives. So what they do is that one of the thieves disguises himself as a merchant, as a grain merchant, uh, and, has an all, and has all these grain barrels uh, on the backs of camels where he, uh, hides, where he hides the thieves. And so he's going to pretend to be a grain merchant, spend the night at the uh, uh, getting get into the Alibaba's estate, 
and then sneak the camels in. Well, he's supposed to give them a signal when they're supposed to burst out of the baskets and and uh, raid the uh, raid the estate. But uh, before doing that, Alibaba's servant girl. Uh, the, the short of it is Alibaba's servant girl by accident kills the forty thieves hmm. by uh, pouring boiling oil into the grain baskets. <laughs> boiling oil and boiling water in the Sir Richard Burton version. Because wow. she's a, she's a little bit dim witted when she's told to get rid of it. Like that's where she puts it and kills all the thieves. And then later, when it's discovered what the thieves were up to, you know, she's heralded as a hero. And I think she either marries Alibaba or marries his son. Uh, it, it's been a while since I've read that particular story. I really should revisit it. Yeah, it's really interesting to see how many different stories are in the uh, Arabian Nights uh, cycle. Yeah, and, and how Disney used one and a half of them in their Aladdin <laughs> franchise. Oh, sure. Um... So, I mean, part of this movie is you see Aladdin reunites with his father. He passes the test to be, you know, in, accepted into the group of one of the 40 thieves. And so he takes uh, his father back to introduce him to Jasmine and the Sultan. But while uh, his father's there, he sees they still have the staff that he was trying to get to begin with to see the Oracle. And he goes to try and steal the staff, and of course he gets caught and gets put in jail. And it's an it's a running theme throughout all three of these uh, Aladdin films, is that Aladdin lies about something or he covers up something and he always gets caught. Whether it's him hiding Iago in Return of Jafar, or him you know pretending he's a prince when he's really just a street rat in the first one. That is an offensive term. That's what they use in the original film. Yeah, to insult him, he's an orphan. He's an orphan. Okay. Although, actually, that's something I did like in King of Thieves. I liked that the, they kept the palace guard, played by Jim Cummings, who's sort of Aladdin's, Aladdin's uh, rough-and-tumble nemesis in the first half of the first movie. I like that he's still employed as a guard in Agrabah, and I like that he's still played by the same guy. Oh, and Jim Cummings has done so many voices for Disney over the years. Oh, yeah. And what are some of those voices? Uh, well, uh, probably the greatest of all is Darkwing Duck. Although mm. he was also he was also the Firefly on uh, Disney's uh, Princess and the Frog, which, damn, I gotta <laughs> say, I, I, I'm willing to say that was an Oscar worthy performance. It's amazing the acting chops he busts out in that role. Although I don't think the Princess and the Frog is one of the better Disney pictures. Oh no, it's not better, but his performance is, yeah. his performance is amazing, mm. and I love Doctor Falsilier. He is a kick ass Disney villain. Yep. My uh, Keith David, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so, I mean, we mentioned earlier that John Reese davies was in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I think this one felt a lot like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in sort of the climax where they're trying to get... Uh, you have Aladdin, you have his father, Kasim, and you have Saluk all running around trying to get this uh, Hand of Midas in this sort of... It's not Atlantis, but it's kind of the same thing, this kind of underwater... A lost civilization. A lost, yeah, a lost underwater civilization that rises out of the ground, but it's sinking while they're in there trying to get this treasure. Now, do you think the Little Mermaid uh, had something to do with that place? Do you think it, there's it, a crossover be, we didn't get to see? 
And there might be a crossover in there somewhere. I mean, it did have that look. You're absolutely right. Certainly, it had that look of Little Mermaid. And um, but it's again, it's an interesting sort of action scene. The plot of this movie always has something going on. It's a lot more of an interesting uh, film than Return of Jafar. Although I, I still think they could have, they could have done better with the music, and they could have done a little bit more with the genie. I think even though you have the genie's big face on the box, he's not a major player in this story. And uh, when you're doing a movie, even if it's a direct-to-video movie, the genie is such a big part of Aladdin. I would have liked to see him a lot more. No, I agree. Like he, he, they, they gave him stuff to do in the animated series, but it seems like they lost a lot of that, a lot of the genie's momentum in this final film. Right? Maybe you know they could only afford Robin Williams for one day in the studio. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it's. These are things you just don't know. They don't do much in the way of special features on these things. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned with all these Aladdin things, all three of these were in the Disney vault. So you can't really go into your local store and buy these new. You have to buy them used online. Sometimes these uh, prices can uh, be quite expensive. Or you can get it through Netflix if you want to wait a really long time. I went to a local video store that happened to have it for rent. But, um... You know, I actually scoured, as I've mentioned before, the local blockbuster is shutting down, and so you can get a lot of stuff there pretty cheaply. Yeah. And I scoured the the uh, children's and family video section to try to find these movies, and uh, sadly they were all snatched up. Do you have any good finds, though? Uh, I didn't, although my girlfriend did. She, she collects a lot of cheesy horror movies and found a whole bunch. Um, there were... I'm trying to think. There were. I I don't know. Like like I like the I like more esoteric stuff, and blockbusters haven't carried anything esoteric since 1994. So <laughs> I I didn't see anything that I was all that interested in. I see. Uh, we we still got more of a show to go. Um, <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we yeah. got more to talk about. Sure, and there's not. It's tricky because even though the plot's more detailed in this one, it's still pretty slight as far as what happens. But they, uh, you know, you don't get Kasim in the end, interestingly enough, he doesn't become a rightful member of the family and hangs around. He says he has to go on and do his own thing. He's still a, a thief at heart. And Iago decides to team with him, which I think is is good and it's in character. Yeah, you know, Iago does like loot, so might as well go with the guy who loots things. Right, and I don't know if they meant to ever spin that off into another series or what, but it's kind of <laughs> peculiar. The buddy, the buddy thief adventures of Kasim and Iago. Yes. Come on, Iago, let's go rob that treasury. Okay, but only if I get the shiniest one first. I get first dibs. Oh, you feather-brained fool. Who you calling feather-brained? Oh, wait, I do got feathers. Okay, that's hideous. It would be something like that. I would think so, yes. Um, Which is weird, though, because it, it is it is weird, though, because, like, you know, Aladdin being married to Jasmine at the end of this film, that puts him in a position where he's next in line to be sultan. That really sets up an inevitable conflict between him and his father, because as sultan, he's going to be required to keep the peace and uphold the law. And yet his father is a master of a band of thieves who breaks the peace and breaks the law. 
Like, I feel there should have been a better reconciliation. There could have been. I mean, it is a nice touch at the end. You kind of get a different version of the classic uh, Aladdin Arabian Nights number as they sort of fly away. And uh, it's, it's kind of a nice way they wrap this picture up. So, we got a lot more time to kill before we talk about our feelings of the Aladdin trilogy. <laughs> what uh, other random stuff do you want to do to fill up time? Well, actually, something that... Because I, I was noticed... Because the, the, the genie you know, does a lot of celebrity impersonations. And, yeah. you know, and this, this is one of the ways you can tell they had to re-record uh, Robin Williams' dialogue. Because while... Robin Williams is a brilliant is a brilliant improviser. You can cut him loose and then sort of animate to what he does. And while Dan Castellaneta is also a brilliant improviser, you know they 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 hired him to read to to do a, to work from a script. So you know you can tell, like in, in that in that the the especially the party in Agrabah number, you know there's all you can tell the writers put in all these like celebrity shapes the genie would assume and other things. To, to give Dan, Dan Claslinetta something to work with as he, as he did his rendition of the genie voice. And it really does, and I think that's where a lot of the cele- the celebrity impersonations come from. Like, okay, in this scene we'll have the genie talk like Sylvester Stallone, and in this scene we'll have him do this, rather than, you know, letting Dan Claslinetta cut loose. Sadly, I think, you know, only comedy nerds know what a great improviser he is. But one thing that really jumped out at me, that number, because you had, uh, had talked about in the previous film that Friends song where there's all, like, the genie kind of shapeshifts into all these ethnic stereotypes. Yep. It really jumped out at me in the Party in Agrabah number when the genie turns into a rabbi, mm. a Hasidic rabbi, which it's, I don't know, because, like, I, 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 I'm, I'm not Jewish, so I'm, I'm, I guess I'm not really a good judge about whether or not that is, is disrespectful, but it really jumps out because he doesn't really turn into in that particular number. He doesn't really turn into any other any other ethnic or religious group. The only thing I can think of is in the uh, original Aladdin cartoon. You know, uh, the genie says some Yiddish phrases here and there, but yeah. I, I don't know if it's it's. I don't think it's implied that he's supposed to be Jewish or. But you're right. If it's just one of these sort of ethnic stereotypes in the middle of all these celebrity things, it does make it stand out a bit more. Yeah, like, I guess, like, why, why not have him turn into Woody Allen? I mean, I know he turns into Woody Allen. He does. Why not, you know, you know turn him into Woody... Have you ever been to a bar mitzvah? Right. And, I mean, you also in this one, you have a lot more of the genie turning into different Disney characters or different references to Disney characters. Oh, uh, yeah. There's one where he's trying to get the princess to cheer up, and he turns her into the Snow White's dress or Cinderella's dress. Uh, Jessica Rabbit, all these things. So, which is, it's very cute for animation fans, but, um, it seems oh, you know what else? much. I, I, we talked about, we talked about this in, in the Die Hard movies, but I love that so few people in Agrabah respect Aladdin, even after he saved Agrabah twice. Well, and presumably more times throughout the animated oh, series. Oh, yeah, yeah, multiple right? times at the animated series. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I think maybe they just... I think some people might just look at Aladdin and still think of him as a kid from the streets, mm-hmm. even though he's proven himself time and time again. And they think, oh, that Jasmine, she really could have picked someone better. Well, they're busybodies. Oh, yeah. 
They don't know what's good for them. Although, oh, that was another thing that, that, that jumped out, because, like, Aladdin wants to pre- present to Jasmine this wedding gift, and it was an object that belonged to his father. It's, like, his, his, father's, his father's knife. Yep. I like that an object that important has not been mentioned in two movies in an animated series. <laughs> Aladdin just then remembered he had this important memento of, of his family. Well, and it's something Aladdin uses later that he shows to Kasim to prove that he is his son. And, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it certainly is a bit forced, but I think they had to do, uh, they had to do something. I don't know. I mean, what else were they going to do? Were they going to have, uh, Aladdin's father shave off his beard and they both look the same and that's when they realize? Yeah, that, that would also be equally forced. Or have Aladdin grow a beard. Oh, there you go. Well, <laughs> I think he could grow a fine beard. He probably could. I don't. That'd have to be like a song and dance number. The genie would have to make the beard grow faster. <laughs> Jazzy number about growing facial hair. Yes. Would you like a beard? Oh, would you like a mustache? Would yeah. you like some mutton chops? Or maybe a mustache, but a different kind. I could see that very much, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, so Aladdin and the King of Thieves. Gee. I think, I think it's a little bit too early to start wrapping things up. No, no. Hey, well, do you want to talk about the animated series? We can, yeah. I, I've never really seen the animated series, but I saw a brief clip of it, and I was surprised that the animation didn't seem uh, too bad. You know? No, it was it was really good. I mean, this, this was after this was after you know, Ducktales, Disney, because uh, uh, this was. This was after Batman the Animated Series and after Disney yeah. had done DuckTales and had experimented with Darkwing Duck. So the bar for animation, for television animation had been raised by this point. And, and Disney, in a lot of ways, really did rise to the challenge with the Aladdin series. But it was actually a fun series. They were able to explore all these little aspects of, of, of mythology. They were able to kind of dig into the, the genie's past. That was actually one of the episodes where the genie there's a there's a great episode where the genie gets kidnapped by one of his old masters. Hmm. And the whole the whole deal is the the old master has learned if, if I remember the episode correctly the old master has learned sorcery and has like learned a way to re-imprison the genie. But the whole reason this is happening is that cuz remember that the the genie had been in prison for like in the lamp for like 10,000 years or something. Yeah. This was the master who he had before he was in the lamp for 10,000 years. And the whole thing was he was this shriveled up monster of a man because his fir- because his last wish was he wished for eternal life, but he forgot to wish for eternal youth. So he had the body of a 10,000-year-old. Oh, that'd be frightening. And he couldn't die. Nothing could kill him. Huh. So like he had no fear of anything. He was eff- effectively invulnerable. Uh, it, it, but it was cool. They they were able to exp- play with really neat ideas like that. Yeah, um, I also recall that Disney did a Hercules uh, cartoon. Yes, kind of is, around the actually, same time. Which is actually uh, well, actually the the Hercules cartoon I believe started after uh, after the, the the Aladdin series had wrapped, but they did do a crossover episode. Yes, where they bring Jafar back to life. Yeah, which and, and that uh, the actually the Hercules animated series is also well Disney's Hercules 
is an underappreciated Disney movie, but I think it, it's one of my favorites. And the animated series is actually surprisingly good. They they do do a hell of a lot of stunt casting, but all the people they stunt cast are perfect for the roles, and they just they have a lot of fun with uh, with Greek mythology. I think also uh, in a similar way to uh, Aladdin, Hercules was a Disney film where visually they really did not want it to look like your typical Disney film. Mm, yeah, where, where the use of colors and the angular features and the characters was uh, really something a bit different there. Well, you know, well, you know what? Oh, yeah, because Hercules came out in 1997. So, okay. Yeah, so that, yeah. That would, would have been was... after this one, even Aladdin. Oh, King yeah, way after this one. Yeah. But one of the things about, um, oh, excuse me, because like I, I, I love that it's just like the Hercules movie is just kind of a riff on celebrity. I think it's a great angle. But um, one of the what the hell was I talking about? You were talking about stunt casting in Hercules. Oh yeah, yeah, because they they had Harvey Firestein as the monster with a thousand eyes, and they had uh, <laughs> if I remember, it, it was it was whoever played Phoebe on Friends was Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and every time she would appear, like she would always she would always like appear out of a uh, out of a clamshell or something, but whenever she would appear, a theme song would play complete with lyrics, and it was just mm. Aphrodite, 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 the goddess of love. What are you do? Like, it was just this goofy, like, lounge act kind of thing. Hmm. Oh, but that was, oh, that's one of the weird things, though, cause, cause, uh, because the Hercules, because this is the one thing that's kind of weird, because Hercules takes place uh, d- during the height of the power of Greece and, and Thebes. It's like the, the height of Greek democracy. And yet Aladdin takes place after the founding of Islam. Yes. These are two completely different eras. How were they able to cross over? They just are, I guess. Yeah, I guess they take place in the same crazy Disney mythological past, but at the same time, oh, because that's another. Because that that well, this is another creepy ass question. Because in Hercules, we get to see the Greek gods. The Greek gods are a fact, but in Aladdin, even though they mention uh, Allah, we never see him. So, within the context of the Disney universe, does this mean only the Greek gods exist? Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I love playing these weird cosmological games with, with uh, any, anything that crosses over. Like uh, how St. Elsewhere renders most television from the 80s uh, the hallucination of an autistic boy. <laughs> Well, because remember, because Saint Elsewhere crossed over with other shows, and those other shows crossed over with other shows. So any show connected by that web of crossovers all took place in the head of that autistic child. You just, uh, you blew my mind. That's what I do, baby. That's yep. what I do. Uh, let's, let's do a pitch a sequel game. Let's uh, pretend, that, let's say Disney was going to do a fourth uh, Aladdin movie, as unlikely as it is. Um, what would it be about? Um, I'll begin... Okay. I think, you know, you have Aladdin gets married at the end of this one. I think a, a natural choice is you do something with uh, Aladdin and Jasmine, kind of the next generation. You have them, it would be take place uh, several years later where their kids are sort of teenagers and Aladdin and Jasmine are older. And they run across a lamp 
in the desert that's all beat up. And somehow Jafar is still out there in a lamp, even though he died as a genie in the lava pit in Return of Jafar. And somehow the spirit of Jafar inhibits uh, the body of Aladdin's teenage son. Mm-hmm. And where, where did we raise the stakes from there? The stakes would be risen because not only is Jafar back, but he's in the in a shape that Aladdin in the shape uh, the body being Aladdin's son. He would be in something that Aladdin would trust. And then zaniness ensues. <laughs> okay, it's not a great idea. But what's your it's idea I- for a sequel? It's an idea. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. If I if I want to pitch a sequel, uh, I I uh, I don't know. I, I want the I want the genie to have have more to do. So here, here so here's what happens. Uh, Aladdin and Jasmine uh, have uh, have kids. They have they have twins. They have twin boy and a girl, uh, and who who look as shockingly similar. As Aladdin and Jasmine, and it's their it's their it's their birthday, uh, you know, so on and so on. It, it, it can be it can be any birthday, but hopefully they're probably still younger than ten. And so the genie uh, bends uh, bends the the rules a little bit and can grant them a birthday wish. However, the birthday wish they make unleashes all sorts of chaos because birthday wishes aren't limited by the genie thing of not wishing for more wishes. So, essentially, one of them wishes the other was a genie that would grant them infinite wishes. And uh, so Aladdin and Jasmine have to teach these kids some responsibility, and so they have to undo all the chaos they created. But in the course of doing all this stuff, they've created an, they've wished into, an exi- into existence an imaginary friend so powerful it cannot be unwished. So they can't wish their... No one can wish their way out of this problem. Hmm. And then this, you know, then they sort of... There's some sort of... They, uh, they, they sort of use their wits. Uh, they use their book smarts, street smarts, and childlike agility to, uh, to uh, defeat the imaginary friend that's wreaking havoc all over Agrabah. And we'll call that movie Rocky II. Okay. Rocky too. We might get in trouble for using that name for this sequel. We also might get in trouble if we actually make this sequel. Yeah, and neither of those are going to happen. Well, not with that attitude. Nope. Hey, I just discovered a new terrible word. Did you? Well, we have sequel. We have prequel. Turns out there's a there's a thing called a midquel. Um, if you do if you do a part if you do an installment of a series that takes place between two other like between two other things in a series, that's the midquel. Like Lion King one and a half. Yeah, fuck you. Is that what you mean? But yeah, that that is what I mean. Okay. I just while while looking through my my research notes on uh, on the the Disney film we've been discussing. I just came across that. Yes, midquel is a word. Uh, no one is ever allowed to bitch about spelling or grammar again, because midquel is a word. 
before it, uh, we wrap up, we should mention our sponsor is uh, Stitcher. If you go, uh, Stitcher is an app you can get for your iPhone, Android phone. You can even listen to it on your uh, desktop computer or a laptop. And uh, if you go to stitcher.com slash sequelcast and sign up that way, not only do you get sequelcast added as one of your favorite shows to listen to, but you also get a chance to win $100 uh, US dollars. And um, what it is, is it lets you listen to podcast uh, streaming. So instead of having to wait five, ten minutes to download an episode of your favorite podcast, it's streaming, so it's practically instantaneous. And uh, they have stuff besides the sequel cast, too. They have all sorts of fantastic shows, whether it's um, a lot of the Adam Carolla shows are on there, and just about anything you can think of, any podcast you can think of worth mentioning, is probably on Stitcher. Especially the sequel cast, that's right. And we do want to mention again our theme song is uh, written and performed by Mark with a C. And uh, you can check out his other music at markwiththec.bandcamp.com. So many thanks to him for doing our new theme song. Um, let's give our ratings on the entire Aladdin series, and then we'll tease a bit about uh, the Lethal Weapon stuff we'll be doing in the coming month ahead. So. We'll go uh, one movie at a time. I'll start, and then a, a rating for overall. And this, these are out of five stars. I would give the original uh, Disney's Aladdin cartoon, I'd say four out of five stars. I think it's really funny. I think it's really colorful. I like a lot of the music in it. But I don't think it's quite there as some of the uh, the beloved Disney classics. It's missing a little something, but it's very good at what it does. I, I'm going to give Disney's Aladdin the full five stars. Ooh. I can think of very little that should, could, or whatever need to be changed with that film. It's it's I, I enjoy it every time I watch it. Okay. Uh, the sequel, uh, Return of Jafar, I would give a two out of five. I think the story is an inspired... Uh, I like some of the music in it, actually. But it's such a big step down that there's very little reason to see it. I just get a kick out of, especially there's a a song that Jafar, as the evil genie, sings, Your your Only Second Best, I think, is... is Your Only Second Rate. Second Rate. Very good. Uh, So I'd give it two out of five stars. Uh, I I hardly gave this film a star-based rating in, uh, in last week's episode. So check out last week's episode. Okay. Uh, Aladdin, King of Thieves, I would give, uh, geez, I think I'd give it like two and a half out of five. I think even though it has a story and stuff that makes it slightly better than Return of Jafar, but the lack of any memorable music, even though they got Robin Williams back, uh, it doesn't make it that much better than Return of Jafar for me. So I would give uh, Aladdin and the King of Thieves two and a half out of five. Yeah, I'll agree with I'll agree with your two and a half. Uh, I, I guess. It, I, I John Rice Davis is great. It's a, it's a, it's a decent enough story, but it still doesn't it still doesn't pack the the punch of the original. So there's some flaws in editing, some flaws in animation, some flaws in the musical numbers that that do drag it down a bit. That being said, I'd give the animated series four stars. Uh, it's a wow. great the animated series is a real fun body of work. Hmm. I would give. Uh... Aladdin, the trilogy as a whole. Oof. You know, I think probably two and a half out of five stars. 
just because I think the sequels are pretty lackluster. Uh, the original one, you know, I think is a must-buy. Certainly go out and get that one if you can. But the other sequels, you can live without watching them. But if you're going to watch one of them, watch the third one, Aladdin and the King of Thieves. Yeah, I, I give the whole series. I'd go ahead and give the whole series four stars. I mean, only the second sequel really drags the whole series, the the whole franchise down. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so, as Thrasher mentioned at the top of the show, uh, the next uh, thing sequel cast will be doing for the next uh, month or so will be all four Lethal Weapon movies. That's right, Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon Two, Lethal Weapon Three, and Lethal Weapon Four. Mm, yes. Starring uh, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. This is going to be a treat. I think so, and you know, I, I, um, I'm trying to think. Have we really done like a buddy cop sort of series on the sequel cast? No, the only, the only thing real, the only movies that really count is have anything like a uh, buddy stuff in it would be the Reanimator films <laughs> and uh, Smokey and the Bandit. To an extent, between Smokey and Snowman. I'm sorry, the bandit and Snowman. Smokey is the police officer. You're right. Yep. Yeah, you couldn't call, like... Uh, would Beverly Hills Cop have a bit of the buddy cop thing in it? But it's not really about that, no. is it, though? It's, it's it, The focus, it really is all Axel. Axel. Yeah. I mean, in, in a buddy cop comedy... The, the, the buddy cops are, are equals in pretty much every way, but in the Beverly Hills Cop movie, it's all about Axel. Hmm. Very neat. Uh, yeah, and then after Lethal Weapon, we're not sure what we're going to do. But uh, So if you want to talk to us, uh, the best way to do it is uh, go to Facebook, look up SequelCast. we got a page on Facebook, and uh, that's a good way to interact with us on there. I tend to update it a bunch. Uh, we also... Have a blog at sequelcast.blogspot.com where we do articles and post things. I recently did a little video looking at the Aladdin video games, and I'm planning on doing the same with the movies we cover in the future. Like, uh, there's some Lethal Weapon video games out there that are pretty horrendous. That'll be fun for a little video. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. And uh, uh, our website, of course, is sequelcast.com. You can download all the episodes right from there. Or if you go to iTunes and look us up just by typing in sequel cast in the search bar and iTunes. We are on there as well. And uh, be sure to leave us a review. We have a whopping three reviews as of February 2012, and we'd like to get that up to a whopping four at least. But but they are whopping. If you're going to add another review, make sure it is equally whopping. They're positive. I guess that's what makes them whopping. If, if not more whopping. The most whoppingest. Uh Okay, well, that's a good place to wrap up here on Aladdin and the King of Thieves. For the sequel cast, I'm Matt. And I am uh, Will Thrasher, the technical editor on Wisdom of the Wastelands. Uh, What is Wisdoms of the Wastelands? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, Wisdom Wisdom of the Wastelands is a new uh, product, a new publication by Skirmisher Publishing, LLC. Uh, it is a uh, weekly is a weekly mini supplements for the post apocalyptic role playing game Mutant Future. Hmm. They are available for download at drivethroughrpg.com. I see. No, but it's been a, it's been a fun series to work on. And what is it you do for it? 
Uh, my my main thing is just uh, going through and making sure that uh, that the PDFs are in order, that everything is bookmarked, indexed, uh, l- properly linked, and so on and so forth. This won't be a funny thing to finish on. You know, this uh, this weekend is my birthday, and I'll be turning 30. Happy birthday! Thank you. And uh, what we're going to be doing is... Uh, <laughs> last birth- last year's birthday, we ended up seeing a Nicolas Cage movie in the theater, so we're going to do the same this year. We're going to see uh, Ghost Rider 1 at my house, and then play some video games and drink, and then see Ghost Rider 2, Spirit of Vengeance, in the theater. Um, so that should be a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be the 3D version or not. I kind of hope it's not, but I don't think we really have much of a choice. Yeah, I've got, I've got kind of a, I've got, I, I only really like uh, Pixar movies in 3D. Anything else, I'm not that into seeing in 3D. Yeah, and the, uh, you know, the the original Ghost Rider film was directed by the same director as the Daredevil movie. But the oh, sequel yeah. is directed by the same directors that directed uh, both Crank movies. So, it promises to be pretty more crazy and over the top, I imagine. Actually, there's two excellent episodes of How Did This Get Made about Crank 2, and well worth listening to. Two, Between epi- two episodes? episodes. Two episodes on just one movie? Yeah, well, they did. They, it was one, Crank 2 was one of the first movies they reviewed. And then they, uh, and then they got in touch. They got in touch with the uh, with the directors, and did a special episode with the with the people who had actually worked on the movie. And they revisited the film. Hmm. Did they have fond memories of that film? Yes, yes, they did. Oh, okay. Corey Haim is in Crank Two. Indeed, one of his last major parts. All right, well, uh, thanks for listening to the sequel cast and sequelcast.com uh, or email us sequelcast at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or iTunes. Uh, good night. Good night. Okay. No, that was We're fun. We're signing off in Agrabah. You're gonna love this work. Welcome to the party, Pete.